Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Let's open our meeting, if you would, please, for a couple of moments of silence, meditation for the still-suffering alcoholic. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a three-speaker program tonight. And opening up for us, our first speaker will be Mark P. from Quebec, Canada. Mark. Bonsoir, mes amis. Mon nom, c'est Marc, puis je suis un ivrogne. I said that on purpose. I didn't swear. I just told you that my name was Mark, and I was a drunk. And I would just like to reminisce a bit on the, on the theme of our convention, Alcoholics Anonymous, everywhere and anywhere. And to tell you that The time frame is 1949, and geographically, we're in the second most beautiful city in North America, that is Montreal, and it comes after San Diego. (laughs) Bill W. has just been invited to talk to the Canadian Psychiatric Association, and it's 1949. And he is a guest of our then-mayor of the city, Camillian Hood. Uh, that's not a disease, that's his name. And they're often, you see, we, we've got no complex of inferiority in Montreal. We've got a little mount, you know, on the island, and we call that a mountain. So there is a restaurant up there, and Lois and Bill are being hosted by the city, because the city thinks a lot of it as a resource for drunks. And uh, he, uh, he heard for the first time The Lord's Prayer, recited in French and English, and in his own visionary way, he realized from that point, and if you read the language of the heart, you will see in his salute to Canada, then this is when he realized that our message of recovery, unity, and service could be carried in foreign languages. And from that very humble beginning in a small city in Canada, Uh, here today, I guess 87 nations have walked into that stadium with their flags. It is an enormous leap, you know, in 60 years. And, and this fellowship of ours has saved my life. And, and to justify my presence here tonight, I, I ought to qualify a bit. And, and if you don't believe that I am an alky, uh, after the meeting is over, not each and every one of you, but the ones that do desire could come, and I'll give you a phone number, and don't call immediately, there is nobody home, but, but call when my wife comes back from Belgium, and uh, she will confirm the diagnostic. 
I was I was born in a family, and I was brought up by a dad that was so lovingly, you know, you wouldn't believe. And and this man, uh, mom, you know, died when I was about six weeks old, and and dad raised a family of eight kids, and uh, of those eight kids, I'm the only one that I had to resort to alcohol to suffer through life. The other seven, you know, they can drink Perrier or soda water all evening when they come to visit me, and they're happy. Uh, in my case, it was totally different. I uh, I drank and drank until I uh, got hospitalized uh, three times in total comatic condition. And, and believe me, uh, after the first time uh, I was in the hospital for about 15 days, I guess I got to time myself. When I start, you know, I have a hard time to stop. So, after 15 days, the doctor came to see me and told me that if I touched alcohol again, I, the same cause would produce the same result and I would be back, you know, uh, back at the hospital for another uh, treatment. And uh, I did not believe, and I challenged his judgment. And guess what I did? As I walked out of the hospital in St. Foy, Quebec, I crossed the street and went headed for the bar. Seven and a half years later, believe it or not, I was again hospitalized in total comatic condition. And when you enter the hospital, you know, in coma, uh, you're on a stretcher, and you, you don't know which end, you know, goes in first, and it doesn't matter. Uh, one is no smarter than the other one. So, so they hung on me there for two weeks again with intravenous and tranquilizers, and uh, the doctor came to see me before my release to tell me that uh, if I drank again, I might die. And the third time I was hospitalized, at that point, my employer had given up on me in Quebec City. I had a responsible job there. I was looking after, you know, a business of about, that employed about 550 people. So they transferred me back closer to head office where they could keep an eye on me. And uh, believe it or not, four years later, I was back in the hospital again. And that time, you know, they were a bit tougher because I was three and a half days in comatic condition without realizing if it was day or night. Well, if that is not sufficient to qualify me, you know, I don't know what we'll do. I could talk about drunk logs, you know, all night, but it wouldn't help the cause. I would like to sort of get to AA, you know, and, and I will tell you the last couple of months that uh, of my drinking, and uh, and my wife, obviously, is no one's fool, and she had left. Uh, the dog was gone, and the cat was gone, and the kids were gone, and the wife was gone. Nobody wanted to speak to me anymore. The only person that was really interested in my future was my bank manager. And you will believe that it is not because I had too much money there. So anyways, I, I, I didn't, I, I, was, uh, I was a believer, you know, because I was brought up with religious faith around, and, uh, but I didn't believe, you know, in those things. And 
And to me, it was a great resource for my father because he was getting long in age and he was getting his morning exercise going to mass. But to me, you know, that was useless. When I got up in the morning, God could go to bed. So here I am, all by myself. And if it is not by the grace of God, you know, I never kneel down to ask anything. Someone intervened on my behalf. And uh, I don't know, but it's the 2nd of August of 1977. And I'm all by myself in my kitchen. And I'm in a great conversation with Johnny Walker. And, and I pick up the phone and I call the 12-step office in Longueuil, which is a city, a suburb of Montreal on the South Shore. And there is not supposed to be a soul in that office. It's supposed to be closed since what, 12 o'clock. And, uh, and believe it or not, a man picked up the phone and he said, Alcoholics Anonymous, my name is Maurice. And uh, I told him, you know, my full name, not knowing what anonymity was. And I gave him my full address and my phone number. And that man promised me that he would come come and see me at 7 o'clock in the morning. And by Joe, you know, he was there at 7 o'clock sharp, and he spoke to me about coffee, and I told him that I had a perk, and I had the coffee beans, and I had everything, but the operator was on vacation, and I didn't know how to work the thing, so... And, uh, and he brewed some coffee, and I offered him, you know, to spike it. Now, that guy, Mo. Because Johnny, you know, I was still talking to Johnny at this point in time. So, uh, believe it or not, this guy, Maurice, was working for me at the plant where I was a manager. And, uh, and he did recognize me, and I was stoned out of my mind. I didn't recognize anybody. But this man did for me what, if I had the courage to do that for everybody, I run into when they first come to Alcoholics Anonymous maybe that more of them would stand a fair chance of staying around. And I will tell you, now I appreciate that it's by the grace of God that, uh, that I, I stayed in the fellowship and, uh, and attained, you know, a, a degree of sobriety over time. But I owe it all to Maurice, because this man is, is hourly paid in the shop where he works, and uh, he, uh, he loses an hour and a half of his time every day to come to Montreal to have dinner with me. Lunch, I should say. Because he knows that if I trigger, you know, at 11 o'clock, I'm in the bars and I'm gone for the day. And at 5 o'clock, he was at my place. He was either there or he was calling, asking me, you know, he gave me the magic recipe that I will recommend anybody to use with a newcomer. He says, 90 meeting in 90 days. And believe me, it worked. It worked. So I have a, a, a great deal of, uh, of respect and admiration for my friend Mo, who passed away two years ago. And, uh, but this is the way, you know, I started in AA. And uh, uh, needless to say that uh, I was not too comfortable, you know, in, in doing just uh, sitting around and, and waiting for things to happen. And I, uh, I, was given, I was given to understand, you know, when I first came, 
that uh, if uh, if I did what needed to be done, uh, I would never have to look behind. So I started to complain about listening, you know, to drunk stories. And and I once was I once was a barman in my school days, and and I was listening, you know, to drunk stories at the end of the bar. The guys were talking about their wives in uh, in not very very uh, uh, in terms, you know, that I would not repeat here tonight. But uh, I knew what it was like, and. Uh, and I, I just made sure, you know, that I wouldn't do the same thing. So I, I started to complain and they told me, you know, if you're not happy, why don't you stand up and, and move around and, uh, and do things? And uh, my sponsor then, you know, uh, encouraged me to start working in service. And I started off, you know, brewing coffee and cleaning up the place. And I did all the ordinary chores that any member can do. And you will see where this has uh, 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 led me to be and has led me to do within the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if it was available to me, let me tell you that it is also available to you. So I stuck around and did my, my work and I became my group. You know, I'm a member of the Tremplin Group. That's a French-speaking group in, in Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu. And uh, they, uh, they sort of uh, built up confidence in myself and, uh, and elected me as their alternate uh, GSR. And then I had full confidence, you know, and they elected me as a GSR. And from there, I went to see what was happening in the area. And in the area, uh, I am a bit mouthy, you know, by nature. So... <laughs> They, they offered me a job as a secretary for the area. And I don't know if you've been a secretary, but when you are a secretary, you do a lot of listening and a lot of writing, but uh, you don't talk a lot. So to me, that was a blessing. For two years, I, I learned to listen. And uh, from there, you know, I, I by accident became chair of the Area 87. And, and then the blessing of being elected, you know, uh, delegate was bestowed upon me in 1986. And I served at the conference for two years. And I like to expand, you know, on this service thing because I would like to, to share with you some of the ideas, you know, that I shared with the board at one point in time. Because the, the ultimate, you know, happened to me. I once left my name in a hat and, uh, and I got the... Uh, I got the nomination to to uh, to trusteeship, and uh, I went through an election and got elected Eastern Canada trustee. And I'm not saying that, you know, to, to brag about things. Only to tell you that as a trustee, we did a lot of work, and uh, and uh, I was uh, I was just uh, blessed, you know, to be chosen to do that. And uh, before I close, you know, I, I would like to to share a, a few of my uh, of my questioning, you know, uh, as a member of that board when I was there. And uh, we all think, you know, that uh, we're, we're a great fellowship and things are going great and we're growing at a ferocious clip. And, uh, and I mean, by counting the number of flags, you know, it justifies that say. But I would like to close, you know, on one idea. 
and let's run through a little mental calculation, you know. So we all go back home and we have a desire to 12-step somebody. Let's not never forget that. This is the primary value of Alcoholics Anonymous. Go see a drunk and talk to him across his kitchen table when his breath, you know, leaves a bit to be desired. And, and if you think that we're running out of natural resources, uh, we'll go through that little mental uh, calculation, you know. In California, you've got a population of over 50 million people. And 50% of that population is of drinking age. The other 50 is either too old or too young. 50% of 50 million is 25 million people. The medical profession tells us that 10 to 15% of that population is, suffers from alcoholism, from that disease. Let's take the conservative number of 10%. 10% of 25 million is 2.5 million. And how many are we in California in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous? Maybe 250,000? So we reach one out of a possible 10 alki. So my last wish before I leave you, because there are two more speakers behind me, would be that when we go back to our home group, if we could only bring a suffering man or lady to our meeting, we're about 60,000 here tonight. Would you believe that we could double up that number in no time? And if it has worked for me, and if I did all the things that Maurice did for me, that person would stand a fair chance of remaining sober. I am overjoyed, and if the, the chapter, you know, a vision for you is any indication of what I see tonight, uh, I hope it happens to you someday. And I hope that you remain sober, that you bring a drunk to your next meeting. I thank you for listening to me, and I ask God to bless us all. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Our second speaker this evening, Sharon B. from Los Angeles, California. <laughs> Good evening. My name is Sharon Barker. I'm an alcoholic. I stand on the shoulders of giants tonight, and I feel like the luckiest woman in the world. I came to you on August 20th, 1975, and I was greeted with love, kindness, and care. And I don't think I would have stayed if you would have asked me where I had been or what I was made of. But you didn't. 
You put out your hand and you said one word, and it was welcome. And I'd like to say to my Czech friends from my father in Iowa, Willkommen. I grew up in Iowa, and that was my first resentment. <laughs> I love going back. My parents are married 54 years. They live in the same house I grew up in, and they've been nothing but lovely to me my whole life. I have siblings that are non-alcoholic, and then there was me. In the summer of my 14th birthday, I sat out in a country road on a 1957 Chevy, and I took a drink of alcohol. Canadian club with Schlitz Beer Chaser. <laughs> and a skinny little shy little flat-chested little girl looked down, grew bumps, and became Lauren Bacall. <laughs> Alcohol changed my life. I began to live to drink. I began to drink to live. And by the time I was 25 years old, I drank because I couldn't live. And I couldn't live because I drank and I died. I saw many parts of this country and I ran. I was a runner and I broke my parents' heart. I had many people there for me. I had a lot of promise as a young girl. But alcohol's call was much more important than anything anybody else wanted for me. And I drank a lot in the 60s, and it wasn't the just say no generation, it was the just say thanks generation. And I looked for truth a lot. And I was lost, and I had no sense of purpose, and I was dying, and I knew it, and I didn't know I was an alcoholic. And in 1975, after I was at my last stop in New Orleans, via Wisconsin, California, St. Louis, New York, organic farms joining the carnival, trying carnivals, dancing with the Krishnas, I landed in New Orleans where they drink all the time, and I fell in love. I left that town when a friend of mine was shot and killed, and I was two feet to his right. And I came out of a blackout as he was dying. And it was just seconds and inches that I wasn't standing next to him. I ended up coming back to California on my way to Hawaii, and I've never gotten there. A bar called Barney's Beanery. A Barneyite. <laughs> A lot of you sick ones drank in there, I know it. Uh, and I got on the back of a Harley Davidson, and I went to Palm Springs, California. I was 170-plus pounds of bloated, alcoholic, toxic mess. I gave my peace sign in one hand and one my one-fingered peace sign in the other hand. And I looked at everybody going to work and going to church, and I thought, boy, I'm free. I got it made. And I was dying, and I was lonely, and I knew it was over for me. There was no more promise. I don't know in what bottle of tequila they said, if you take this bottle and drink it, your dignity will go. If you take this bottle and drink it, your 
Talent as an artist will run out your sleeve. If you take this bottle and drink it, you will not feel like a member of your own family. If you take this and drink it, your self-worth is gone. I took the bottle and drank it because I had no choice. Alcohol was more powerful than anything else in my life, and it was for a long time my best friend. And in Palm Springs, I ended up with two people that didn't want to um, be nice to me, and I ended up beaten up badly and abused and thrown off the side of the road with a broken jaw, a broken nose, and a concussion, and I was flat out, passed out, off the side of the road where you couldn't have seen me driving by. And I heard a voice that made me come to. It said, get up, I want to live. And I got up and I found my way and some gardener found me and the police found me and I'm laying on a gurney in a hospital on July 27, 1975. And I heard that voice again and that voice said, you know, it's not your dad's fault that you're here. It's not all those men that broke your heart. It's not that Catholic God that you just shook your fist at when you were a young girl. You did this to you and I still didn't know I was an alcoholic, but I heard the voice. And something changed in me because I sat living above a liquor store drinking wine through the broken jaw, through the wires on my teeth where the tooth had been because I'm a dedicated alcoholic. But it didn't do it for me anymore. It was gone. And on August 20th, 1975, I called my dear sweet mother in Iowa and I said, Mom, my jaw was wired. I said, I need some help. And she said, I can't help you anymore. Why didn't you try the Salvation Army? And I picked up the phone and called a number of a girl I had met in that bar. And she said, I'll send two people over there to get you. And I ended up that night in the Pacific Group meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in West Los Angeles. Because of God's grace. I was welcomed, and they didn't shun me for the way I looked. They seemed happy I looked so surrendered. <laughs> they didn't ask me, would you like to go to a meeting tomorrow night? They said, we're picking you up tomorrow night. Treat your newcomers like gold. And I was treated like gold. And I have been with you for 19 years, 10 months, in 10 days. And my heart is full tonight because I have been able to walk through light with the God you gave me. I wasn't a rocket to start. I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous. I couldn't talk for the first three months I was here because the jaw was wired. I had to learn to listen, and I am so grateful for that because I was around some of the best, some of the best. I've always had a sponsor louder than my head. I suggest you get one if you don't have one. And that sponsor began the steps with me. People were kind to me. People gave me their time, and they gave me what they knew, their experience. And I believed you because I knew you knew how I felt. I've had many experiences in my sobriety. And one of the most joyous ones I've had is being a mother. 
I have an 11-year-old son who's here tonight, and he thinks he's 11 years sober. <laughs> he was in the countdown. I watched him. <laughs> he is. <laughs> I looked my whole life for my purpose, and one day I was reading the big book, and on page 77 it said that my purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And I looked for truth my whole life, and there it was. There it was. And you have taught me how to fit myself. You have given me the steps. You have given me the tools, and you have said, this is how we work them, but you have to do the work. You have to pick up the tools and do the work to get the self-worth, to get the dignity back, to look in the mirror and know that you're okay, to be able to see God in my actions. You've given me that. My heart is full. I've been able, this is my fourth international. I got to go back to New Orleans in 1980 and make amends to that town. <laughs> Out of that amends is a woman I sponsor who's 11 years sober, who I drank with, who I died with. I get the privilege of sponsoring many women in Southern California and all over this country, and they keep me one step ahead of them much of the time. I need them. You taught me how to do that. I didn't know how to be an example. I didn't know how to be a human being. I didn't know how to be one of God's kids. I was full of shame and remorse and regret and sadness. You told me that I had to make amends to my father. My dad and I could not sit down at the same kitchen table. We could not walk down the same hallway at the same time. I broke his heart. He walked me down the aisle when I was two years sober and I got married. It was still a little tense between me and him, and so what I did, under sponsor direction, was to call him up and ask him how much money I owed him. I said, it's been a long time, sponsor, and she said, I don't care, lovingly, of course. I called him up and I asked him how much money I owed him, and he had been to an AA meeting, and he had read the big book, and he was ready for me because he didn't have to hesitate. He gave me a figure. <laughs> And I swallowed and said, okay, and called my sponsor back immediately and said, it's too high, and he was too quick, and she said, I don't care. Call him back in two days and ask him if your terms that we agreed upon were okay with him. And so I called him back in two days, and he still had the same figure in mind, and he accepted my terms, and we started on this. Check every month to my dad. And I had a sponsor who was louder than my head and who wanted more for me than I wanted out of life because that's the way they are. Between me and me is me, but between me and my sponsor is there, and she can see. <laughs> and she said to me, are you really willing to heal this relationship with your dad? And I said yes as I was backed into the corner. She said, I want you to put a note in with that check every month to your dad about your life. And I said, he really doesn't care about my life. He's got three other successful children. And she said, do it anyway, lovingly, of course. And I sent this check with this tiny note off to him. 
And I don't know how many months later it was, I sent this check with the letter off to him. And then I would send the check with the card that I would pick out off to him. And I don't know what changed and how it started to heal the relationship, but he called me between Christmas and New Year's, three and three-quarter years later, and he said, Merry Christmas, Sharon. I don't want your money. Your debt with me is free and clear, but don't stop sending me your notes. I got to heal. I got to heal with the male population. I got to heal within myself. I got to heal with my family. I can sit in the car with him and spend all day with him at the hardware store and weed the weeds in his garden patch and love my father, and you've allowed me to do that. Thank you for that. My mother can sleep at night because of you. Thank you for that. At 10 years of sobriety, a sponsor I had became a newcomer again. My marriage was over. My marriage of eight years was over, and that was very painful. I had a new baby, and I came to Alcoholics Anonymous with my arms folded and my anger and my legs shoved out and sitting in the front row, and you love me anyway. And I got a new sponsor. And he was definitely louder than my head that year. And I needed Clancy to be louder than my head that year. <laughs> and one night I was on my way to uh, see my new uh, stepwife, uh, my ex's new wife-to-be. And I was on my way over with two hot cups of black coffee. I was going to say hello. <laughs> and maybe spill the coffee. <laughs> But what happened was he caught me that night at that meeting and he took the coffee out of my hands and he looked me in the eyes and he very gently squared me off and grabbed my shoulders and he says, Sharon, you will walk through this with dignity and grace. And I said, screw dignity and grace. But he's louder than my head and he added, so you can be an example to the others. And I heard him. And he was louder than my head and I turned it around. I was able to work my own program, work my own steps, and one year, one month, and 18 days later, I was rocketed into the fourth dimension. I became, from the tip of my head to the tip of my toes, a God, God's kid, a complete human being. I sponsor a nun. <laughs> She's helped me make my amends to the Catholic Church. <laughs> but when she calls, I get to say, don't worry, Sheila, have faith. It's going to be okay. <laughs> My son goes to their school. When he was in kindergarten, he looked up at me and he said, you're a mean mom. I was having a rough time. I was trying to control and manipulate a small child. <laughs> I wasn't treating him like a newcomer. And what happened years later, a year ago, my son, on the last day of school, wrote me a note. And his note said, Dear Mom, you are the greatest mom a child could ever have. You are so great, my friends ask me if they can have you. <laughs> and I have learned how to be his mom, and I have learned how to be his friend. 
We do good Legos together. I have a man in my life named Casey who I love with my whole heart. He's sober and alcoholic synonymous, and he brings me much joy. If God is joy, there is God here tonight. I used to pray to Beacon's moving van because it was there the night I had to get a higher power. And it made sense to my newcomer brain. And I still always feel better now when I see one. My son points them out. But my God within me is privileged to be able to reach out and touch the God within you tonight. And I used to think that freedom was just another word for nothing left to lose. And I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I found out that freedom is in the 12 steps, in the 12 traditions, in the action that I've been taught to do from washing a cup to spending five minutes outside the meeting with a newcomer, to giving somebody a ride, to calling them to find out how they're doing today, to bringing somebody a piece of cake, to being a friend, being an example, being one of God's kids. Freedom is on page 25 for me. It's a simple set of spiritual tools that you laid at my feet, and you gave me freedom. I am walking on air and standing on the shoulders of giants tonight. My feet are firmly planted in the program, and my head is in the clouds. And I love you all very much. Thank you. Sharon, thank you very much. And now, please help me welcome our final speaker of the evening, N.C. from Chatsworth, South Africa. Good evening, friends. My name is N.C. and I'm a qualified alcoholic. And a very, very grateful member of Alcoholics Anonymous. On the outset, I want to tell you that I bring you love and greetings from your beloved family in South Africa, members of... As members of Alcoholics Anonymous, the Al-Anon Family Group, and Alateen. <clears throat> I want to say a few thank yous here tonight. Firstly, I want to give thanks to God for us being here at this big convention. I want to thank Dr. Bob and Bill W., the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's through them and your wonderful people and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous I stand here. 
sober one day at a time. I want to thank Eileen and the convention committee for asking me here to share this evening with your wonderful people, my strength and hope. It's been an honor and a privilege for me to stand here tonight. If there is anybody here tonight that's doing an AA meeting for the first time, I want to tell you welcome home. I know how you feel. I know how you feel. I want to tell you welcome to this beloved family of ours. And I hope and pray tonight that God will shower his blessing and guide you in this beloved fellowship of his as well. You know the story of an alcoholic is a story of pain, suffering and agony. Alcoholism today is recognized as a disease, but it's a disease of denial. How often did my wife tell me, he said, Dad, you have got a problem, do something about it. I never listened. I was the last person to know that I've got a problem. If there's anyone amongst us here tonight thinks he or she hasn't got a problem, and if anybody tells you there's something wrong with your drinking, please think about it, don't question, but stop. You know alcoholism is confusion for a lot of people. Lots of them come here for the wrong reasons. A few of them stay for the right reasons. But thank God, I'm a very, very good listener because I'm grateful for the old-timers. They told me, N.C., this is a simple program for simple people done one day at a time. And you know, this old-timer never stopped there. He said, but for the rest of your life. I want to tell you what confusion is. There was this drunk that ended up in a hospital one night. When he came to, there was a nurse that was standing next to him. And he looked at this nurse, he said, God, what am I doing here? He said, can you remember what happened last night? He said, no. He said, I went to a party and I had a few drinks with my friends. And that's all I can remember. He said, you was involved with a nasty accident. And he said, your right leg is crushed and you have to amputate below the knee. And he was very upset about what happened. And he told the nurse, God, if this is what happened to me, I've got nothing to do with alcohol. This nurse, wonderful nurse, told him, don't despair. We'll have a transplant. We'll transplant your leg. And this chap was much relieved about it. When he went to theater, the only leg they could have found was a woman's leg they had to transplant because of his length of the leg. And after, 
And the doctor told him, after three months, come and visit us, so we want to know what is your progress like. After three months, drunk came back. And the doctor asked him, how are you feeling? He said, you know, doc, I'm on top of the world. But there is one confusion. He said, what is that? He said, when I go to the lobby, my right leg asks me to sit and my left leg asks me to stand. <laughs> my friends, I now want to tell you all, if there is anybody that's confused about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, don't. There's no confusion. I am here because I'm an alcoholic. I'm not here because I drank too much milk. You know, there was times when my wife told me, do something about your drinking. You know, because of crisis, I told her, I got willpower, I'll stop. You know, every alcoholic says that he's got willpower. But I know when I came into the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, they told me, NC, you have got the will, but the power comes from the God of your understanding, the power greater than yourself. <clears throat> You know, I used to tell my wife, girl, I will stop. I definitely stopped. I stopped for a period. But what happens to an alcoholic when things start coming right? But my beloved wife used to tell me, Dad, I never told you to stop drinking. All I told you to was cut it down. Hell, you know, I haven't seen an alcoholic cut down on his drinking, man. But as I said, when there was crisis, I stopped. When everything came right, I went back to drinking and I wanted to drink normal again. But it got ten times worse. But if there is anybody here thinks he can do this program his own, you couldn't do it, my friends. When everything comes right for you, when the, the crisis is over, you must do more meetings. I go to meetings to be reminded that I'm an alcoholic. And I want to be constantly reminded where I come from. There's a lot of happiness at home now. There's a lot of love at home. My beloved wife is sitting here amongst you. Because God made it possible, because of my sobriety, she can join me on this journey to your beautiful city. And for that, I owe my life to Alcoholics Anonymous and God as I understand him. <clears throat> I don't have to tell her sorry anymore because she understands I am sober. How do I shatter this happiness that she's much enjoying and I am enjoying? Simple, my friends. Simple. All I have to do is stay away from meetings. I forget where I come from. I'm very close to drink. I want to tell you what happened a couple months ago. A friend of mine in South Africa, I used to tell him, George, I miss you at meetings. I'm saying this because I said, George, I love you. He said, NC, I am sober. And every time I met him, he was telling me, NC, I'm sober. But I know in my heart, the further away is from meetings, one day is liable to pick up a drink.
This friend of mine was just over 12 years in the program. He walked into my shop one day, drunk. And that is what alcohol does. It hurt me. I got very, very emotional. And I told him, you have to go back to meetings. We talk about, I always talk about insanity. The insane things I've done while drinking. But your wonderful people told me, NC, you are not responsible. But he said, now you are in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and you are sober. You are responsible. My friends, insanity, I want to tell you what insanity is. To be here sober for a period and go back and pick up that thing, that is insanity. Before I come into the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was very, very spiritually minded. I was very, very close to God. God and I are the best of friends because God is love. In my drinking periods, when I used to be nice and high, my wife used to tell me the next morning, she said, Dad, there's something wrong with your drinking now. She said, try and do something. But as I said, I'm a very good listener. I noticed these things happen to me. And one day, I'm a Hindu. My wife had this lamp burning. I went on my knees and I said, God, show me a way. Because as I said, I tried the easier, softer ways. Never worked. But this is a time I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. On the 14th of May 1977, I had a spiritual awakening. On the 18th of May 1977, I walked into the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's only a handful of people there, but the welcome that I've got, they told me, NC, stick around, things will come right. They said, every hour has only got 16 minutes, it must pass. And I like that. I like that. And they told me, things will happen here beyond your wildest dreams. That night, I was dressed up with a three-piece suit. I was a manager of a very big manufacturing company. I was director of a small company. And the speaker was looking at me. He said, I want to show this Lani a thing or two. He was looking at me and he was telling his story. He drank any concussion. I never drank this concussion. He lost every job that he had. I never lost any. He said, if family left him, my family never leave me. He said, never heard a home. He slept in the park. I never did that. But towards the end of his story, summing up, he told, he's looking at me, 
because I was a newcomer that night. He said, if any one of you think you still got your worldly position, you still got your family, you still got your home, and you think you're not an alcoholic yet, the little word yet is a continuity what happens. My friends, I know what he was talking about. I know what he was talking about. From that day, on the 18th of May, 1977, I was 45 years old then when I came in. After 18 years in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I feel 20 years younger. I want to tell you what happened to me when I was five months sober. I'd taken my beloved wife and we decided to go to Mauritius and a little island in the Indian Ocean to spend about ten days over there. I befriended a wonderful person, very spiritual person. This person doesn't drink. On Christmas Day he tells me, Brother N.C., I want to go visit my uncle in Port Louis. Would you accompany me? I said, with pleasure. We go to his house, introduce me to his uncle, and you know me being a Hindu, I greet him this time. And he looked at me and he greeted me as well. He said, are you from South Africa? I said, yes. He said, please be seated. He said, what, what are you drinking? I said, I'll have tea. And my friend doesn't drink as well. We both said tea was brought in. And his two sons walked in with a bottle of whiskey and they sat on the table. After two drinks, This friend of ours tell me, he said, tell me, he said, do you come, do you, don't you have tea in South Africa? I said, yes. I said, why? He said, you come all the way from South Africa to Mauritius to drink tea? I said, why? He said, it's Christmas today. He said, join me for a drink. I said, no, I can't. He said, why? And, uh, you know, I am an alcoholic and I told him I'm an alcoholic. He said, what do you mean you are an alcoholic? I said, I'm allergic to alcohol. I can't drink. He said, haven't you had a drink before? I said, yes. <laughs> he asked me, when last did I drink? I said, six months ago. And he said, surely, today you can have a drink. You know, my friends, I was there shaking and shivering. I said the serenity prayer and I said, God help me. One thought came into my mind. And I told him, you know, my friend, I want to tell you something. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But I said, do you know I'm the most important per person in my life? He looks at me, shakes his head. And I said, if I can't please NC, I said, I can't please you. And he walked across the table, he came onto my side and he asked me to please stand. I stood up and he hugged me. He said, I love you for what you have said. He said, Ma, another cup of tea for Mr. Nyker. And that made me feel nice. Very recently, a couple of years back, 
as i said i was a you know a, ma- a manager of a big manufacturing company i used to entertain my custom uh, customers the very big customers and i used to take them out for dinner and lunch and we all were out in johannesburg talking business to big to big clients and we sat at the carlton hotel we had dinner that night there we walked out my friends were having um wine on the table and i had my junior boss with me he was drinking whiskey we got out of the table and we sat on the side and i see my friends ordering irish coffee and they were drinking coffee as if it is going out of fashion <laughs> and i look at this glass tall glass with about three quarters full of milk i said this guys must be sick when after having alcohol they started drinking coffee and you know gordon one of our clients told me and he said why don't you have one for a nightcap i said why not i told you earlier about the power of prayer and the faith in god you know this steward that was serving us thank god it was him he brought three irish coffee and one coke gordon tells him i asked you to bring four irish coffee i said never mind i said i'll have a coke i didn't know about this You know, I was sharing this thing with a friend of mine in the fellowship one day, and I was telling him what happened and what transpired at this hotel. He said, "You know, NC, I believe you when you said God is your friend." He said, "You know what's in that Irish coffee? There's two whiskies in it." And that, my friend, isn't that the power of prayer, the faith in God? things beyond my wildest dreams i want to tell you things beyond my wildest dreams things beyond my wildest dream is my sobriety in the fellowship of alcoholics anonymous my good health my happiness that i can share with my family and your beloved people and the love that i can share with you all but something happened While I was in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous my thought was always about my son I've got one son Richard and I said God let not Richard pick up a drink but something happened it happened he picked up a drink things were bad he wasn't a guy like me I wasn't an aggressive guy I was always loving caring but Richard was very very aggressive I cried out to God and I said God how can you do this to me you take out the disease from me and go give it to my only son I said I know you're my friend why don't you take the disease back out of my son and give it to me you know God knew my honesty he knew my love something happened and i want to share this with you on the 21st of january 1985 i had a call from a friend he's about 1000 kilometers away from me he phoned me that night and he told me nc i got a call from richard tonight and he wants to help 
And I said, what type of a help? He said, he wants to stop drinking. And I said, what did you say to him? He told him, he said, why don't you ask dad? He'll help you because he's in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says, no, I don't want to ask him. I want you to help me. And meanwhile, my friend doesn't drink. But he asked me for a telephone number of a friend of mine who he knows very well. And I gave him this telephone number. This friend is Brian, he's late. He 12-step Richard that night. And he taken him to his first meeting on the 22nd of January 1985. That was on a Tuesday. He taken him to a meeting on Wednesday. He brought him to a meeting on a Thursday. I was speaking out at Tongart, which is on the north coast of where I live. And I met Brian outside at the hall. And I, he gave me a hug. And he told me, NC said, look. He was pointing towards the window. I peep in at the window. Who do you think I sit there, sit, see there? Richard sitting there. I walked into that hall. And I said, Richard, stand up. I was very, very emotional. I said, Dad, welcome home. I said, welcome to this family. How do I say thank you to God? How do I say thank you? When do I stop saying thank you for what God has given me? And today, Richard is just over 10 years sober in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. He sends you all his love. He couldn't be here, but he'll be definitely here on the year 2000. My friends, at this stage, I don't want to continue because I am emotional, because God, I know what God has done for me. I owe my life to the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I want to tell you that I love each and every one of you. May the good Lord bless and guide you with good health, love, sobriety. Till we meet again, I want to say God bless you and thank you for listening. Thank you very much, N.C. Thank you. We've had three truly outstanding presentations tonight. Mark, Sharon, N.C. Let's give them a big... And now as we close our meeting, if you would care to join us, please, let's stand... Join hands in a closing prayer. Our Father, born in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for being here. Keep coming back. It works. Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, and Al-Akeem present the 1995 International Convention, AA Everywhere, Anywhere, held June 29th to July 2nd in San Diego, California. to the 10th International Convention of Alcoholics Anonymous. AA continues to grow. AA continues to grow, and people here are here tonight from many countries where AA exists. Let's say hello to some old and new friends. Antigua and Barbuda. Argentina. Aruba. Australia. Austria. Bahamas. Barbados. Bahrain. Belarus. Belgium. Bermuda.
Bolivia. Brazil. Canada. Cayman Islands. Chile. People's Republic of China. Colombia. Costa Rica. Czech Republic. Denmark. Dominican Republic. Ecuador. El Salvador. England. Fiji. Finland. France. French Polynesia. Germany. Ghana. Greenland. Guam. 
Guatemala. Guyana. Honduras. Hong Kong. Hungary. Iceland. India. Iran. Ireland. Italy. Japan. South Korea. Kuwait. Lithuania. Luxembourg. Malta. North Marianas Island. Marshall Islands. Mexico. Monaco. Netherlands. New Zealand. Nicaragua. Norway.
Oman. Panama. Papua New Guinea. Paraguay. Philippines. Poland. Portugal. Puerto Rico. Qatar. Romania. Russia. Scotland. Singapore. Slavic Republic. South Africa. Spain. Sri Lanka. Sweden. Switzerland. Tahiti. Thailand. Trinidad and Tobago. Turkey. Ukraine, 
Israel. U.S. Virgin Islands. Venezuela. Wales. Western Samoa. United States of America. In 1965, at the 4th International Convention in Toronto, our Responsibility Pledge was introduced to our fellowship. Would you please repeat the Responsibility Pledge in your own language? When anyone, anywhere, reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA always to be there. And for that, I am responsible. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Pacific Regional Trustee, Julian R. Good evening, everyone. My name is Julian, and I am an alcoholic. Welcome to the 60th anniversary celebration of Alcoholics Anonymous and to the 10th International Convention. 
On this very special occasion, let us first reflect back for a moment on the great debt we owe to those who went before us. Among them are our beloved founders, Bill and Dr. Bob. Lois and Anne. And we remember Evie T, who first carried a message of hope to Bill. We recall the friends of AA, people like Henrietta Cyberling and T. Henry Williams, who opened up their homes for meetings. We are honored tonight to have with us some non-AA friends who are the surviving links to the first days of our fellowship. Dr. Bob's children, Bob and Sue. T. Henry Williams' daughter, Dorothy Culver. Bill's secretary and our first archivist, Nell Wing. Former GSO worker, Dennis Manders. Mrs. Ellie Norris, the widow of our beloved Dr. Jack, a towering former chair of the board. And last but not least, two former chairs of the board, Gordon Patrick and Mike Alexander. Now, all together, will these early friends of AA please stand, be recognized, and accept our grateful thanks for your loving service. It is now my privilege to introduce to you our presently sermon, serving chairman of the board and a great friend of Alcoholics Anonymous, Jim Estelle. Jim. Thank you, Julian. Good evening, dear friends. My name is Jim, and I am a friend of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're truly delighted to welcome you here to this beautiful city of San Diego for our international convention. We especially welcome those, who, those folks who have traveled great distances and who truly make our convention international. It is my fervent hope 
that along with our justifiable celebration of 60 years of life-saving Alcoholics Anonymous and the irrepressible joy of sobriety, that we also rededicate our energies to the spirituality of our three legacies. As we know, Alcoholics Anonymous cannot survive without service. Also seated on the dais are your trusted servants of the board of Alcoholics Anonymous. And out there tonight are many past and present trustees, AA World Service and Grapevine Directors, delegates to the General Service Conference, the General Service Office staff, host committee volunteers, area and district people, central office and intergroup workers, service committee people, GSRs, group secretaries, sponsors, and coffee makers set up and clean up people. There are many other trusted servants, and let's give them all a big thank you and a big hand. <laughs> Equally important, let's extend our gratitude to our wonderful Al-Anons here tonight. And those Al-Anons all around the world who, beginning with Lois, helped and continue to help make possible our new lives, we are most grateful. And now I want Julian R. to come back to chair our Alcoholics Anonymous meeting for this evening. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you very much. Uh, folks, before our meeting gets started tonight, how about our having a sobriety countdown? <laughs> Sounds like you're in favor of it. Okay. When I say stand, I would like everyone to very carefully stand up and remain seated until your time is called in the sequence. Everybody now, please stand up very carefully and all together. We'll have a little light here in a minute. <laughs>
We'll wait for a few more moments in here and see if we have lights for our sobriety countdown. Going to take us a few more minutes to get our lights on. Shall we stand up and wait, or would you prefer to be seated? All right. We have about three or four more minutes necessary before we can bring the lights up to full lighting. Be with you in just one moment. While we're waiting for our lights to come up, if you would, let me jump ahead here for just a moment. And we'll start with our preamble and our anonymity statement. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses, nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And now a reading of the anonymity statement of Alcoholics Anonymous there may be some here who are not familiar with our tradition of personal anonymity at the public level. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Thus, we respectively ask that AA speakers and members not be photographed videotaped or identified by full name in audio tapes and in the published and broadcast reports of our meetings. The assurance of anonymity is essential in our effort to help other problem drinkers who may wish to share our recovery program with us. And our tradition of anonymity reminds us that AA principles come before personalities. We have our lights here. We're ready to go. We're going to start off here with one year. With everyone with one year or less of sobriety, please be seated.
And now, because there are so many of us, we're going to move ahead for a while in five-year increments. Everyone with five years or less, please be seated. Those with ten years or less, please be seated. Fifteen years or less of sobriety, please be seated. Twenty years or less, please be seated. Twenty-five years or less. Those with 30 years or less of sobriety, please be seated. <laughs> 35 years or less. Forty years or less. Forty one years. Forty-two years. Forty-three years. Forty-four years or less of sobriety. Forty-five years of sobriety. Forty-six years or less of sobriety. Forty-seven years. Forty-eight 
48 years of sobriety. Forty-nine years. Fifty years. Do we have anyone standing with 51 years? <laughs> 52 years. Fifty-three years. Do we have a fifty-four year standing? We are at 54 years. Fifty-five. Appears we're at 55 years. Folks, AA works, and thank you very much. for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.